0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I started a series about bearing fruit for the kingdom, and um, I'm going to pick up the final, hopefully the final installment, we'll wrap it up today. But I've been preaching on uh, the parable in Matthew 21 that concludes with this verse. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And if you remember that, Jesus told that parable against Israel because they had not done what they were supposed to do. They ended up killing the prophets. They ended up crucifying him and they did not bear the fruit that God expected them to bear. Because God expected Israel to bear fruit. And we covered some of this, but uh, some of the fruit that Israel was supposed to bear, one, they were supposed to be the light for the nations. Isaiah 49 and verse 6 says, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Israel was supposed to be a light, not for themselves, but for the nations. Another Uh, fruit that Israel was supposed to bear was they were supposed to be a nation of priests. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. See, they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests. A priest is not a priest for yourself. A priest is somebody who goes between God and somebody else, right? So the nation of them was supposed to allow the other nations to know God. God was going to work through the nation of Israel and bring his Knowledge of him into the earth. Look at the, look at the word for all the earth is mine. Verse five. Why does he say that? For all the earth is mine and you shall be a kingdom of priests. You get it? He always had the whole earth in mind from the beginning. Always. Go back to what we read about the light. Isaiah 49, six. I will make you as a light for the nations. Why? That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. His plan has not changed. It has always been that all the nations would come to a relationship, a saving relationship and knowledge of God and who he is. But Israel didn't do that. They failed to do that. Israel was also a carrier of the word of God, the revelation of God. Romans 3.2 says that the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, the sayings of God, the teachings of God, the revelation of God, if you will. But what Israel failed to do, we are supposed to be doing. We are doing that. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. See, you are supposed to be the light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. See, you're a light, not just for yourself, but you're supposed to be a light for others. Your life should be such lived in such a way that others can know something about God through watching you, Mm. through knowing you. Look at the next verse, verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. See, you are a light bearer. You're supposed to be living this life, carrying the light of God, the glory of God, the knowledge of the word of God. And you're carrying the light of God. So when others see it, it exposes their emptiness, their bankruptcy, their their wickedness, the things that they're doing that are disconnected apart from God. You are the light of the world. Proverbs 4.19. See, the the idea of bearing light also carries with it the idea of knowledge, knowing something. There's light of revelation. There's light of the knowledge of God. Look at Proverbs 4.19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. They don't know. They're stumbling and they don't know over what. But if you're there and you're shining the light, they can know. And they can say, hey, I need to do something. And the next thing you are supposed to be is a priest. First Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. <coughs> light him. But you're a nation of kings and priests. So when they can get to you, they can get to God. Why? Because you can point them to God. I mean, you're not a priest in the sense that they're going to always have to go through you to have a relationship with God. But as far as representing him on the earth, you are his ambassador. He has given you the ministry of reconciliation. That's why we're supposed to go implore one another saying, be reconciled to God. That's the ministry that you have. That's what you carry. You are a royal priesthood. Now, isn't that interesting? A royal priesthood. A royal priest. Royal implies Authority, a royal priesthood. You're here to do king's business and represent him. You know, in the Bible, um, there's only three people or three groups that are royal priests. You know what I'm saying? Do you remember Melchizedek in Genesis who blessed Abraham? He was the king and the priest of Salem. He the king of righteousness. He was a king and a priest. But when you get down to the kings and priests in um, Israel's history, um, the first king, uh, Saul, was a Benjamite. And after that, the lineage of David, they were all um of the line of Levi. Or, or, or Judah, rather. I'm sorry, the kings. Well, the priests were always of the line of Levi. So they were separated. There was never a king who was a priest and a priest who was a king, ever, in the history of Israel, except for Melchizedek. And then who's next? Jesus. Because that's what the book of Hebrews labors to explain. He didn't come from um, uh, Aaron's lineage. He came after the order of Melchizedek. He's a king and a priest. And then the Bible turns around and says, I've made you kings and priests. Yeah. Kings and priests, royal priesthood. You carry the authority of the kingdom, and you also have this ministry of reconciliation. It's not about just imposing the rules but it's imposing the rules and reconciling people back to God. And that's something that Israel was supposed to be doing, but Israel failed to do it. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was made, uh, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, say to me, don't try it again. Say to, me. to me. He's entrusting to me the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through God is making his appeal to the world through you. See, he was making his appeal to the world through Israel. Israel failed to do it. Now he's making his appeal to the world through you. Let's not fail to do it. Let's be fruit bearers, amen? He's making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And the third thing, Israel was a carrier of the word of God, of the oracles of God. You carry the message of reconciliation. you I mean, who is commissioned to preach the word in the New Testament? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Humankind is commissioned to preach the word. It's not angels. It's not, you know... Other things, it's people, people. We are carriers of a message and the glory of God. And what Israel failed to do, God is doing through us, through his people. So the fruit, the light bearing, the, the priest and the carriers of the word, they should be, these things should be growing and increasing in our lives. And I believe they are. I mean, this is not necessarily a message of reprimand or anything. They are. They are. We're seeing fruit. We're praying. We're seeing results. We're seeing answered prayers. People are coming to the kingdom, but it should be increasing. This is just the beginning. Every day is just the beginning, right? (laughs) Because next day is going to be better and better and better. We're going to keep on going with him. So uh, I covered over the last several weeks, three things to do to be fruitful. And uh, I loosely connected it to the parable of the sower, which you can find in Matthew 13, Mark 4 and Luke 8. since in all three of the synoptic gospels. And the first thing I said, which is about a month ago now, I said, first thing you need to do is get connected. And this would be compared to the, in the parable, the seed sown on the hard path. You know, that seed sat there on the path and it never got roots. It never penetrated. It never connected to the soil where it could pull the nourishment from the soil. It just sat there until the birds came and said... Munch, munch, thank you for the lunch. And it was done. Never connected. And our verse for that was John 15, 7 and 8. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Get connected is number one. You know, if if we didn't have, um, if all of a sudden the... uh, TVs went out, we would be right for going back there and starting to fiddle with the wires and wondering what went wrong. But if the TVs went out, the lights went out, the sound system went out, and the air conditioner went off all at the same time, I think we should check the electrical connection, right? <laughs> Sometimes you have all these things in place, but you're just not connected. If you get connected, everything works. So the first thing as a Christian is to be connected to God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, my words. What's he say about my words? My words are spirit and they are life. That's the life of God. He's saying, I want my life to flow through you. I am the vine, he said. You are the branches. The same sap that flows through the vine flows through the branches. The same life of God that flows in him is supposed to flow in and out of you. You and him, and he and you. And you bear much fruit that way. Number one, get connected. Number two, this was a couple weeks ago, and I said, we need to guard the garden. Guard your garden. Guard your heart. I use the verse from Proverbs. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Holman says it like this. Guard your heart above all else. For it is the source of life. And the NIV says it like this. Above all else guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your life. You are presently right now living out of your heart. The boundaries of your life are not out here something somebody imposes on you externally. The boundaries in your life are the boundaries that you've placed, allowed somebody to place in your heart. Everything you do in your life flows out of your heart. Hmm. It's not something you try to do. It's something that is true. It's happening. That's why if you have negative expectation in your heart, doubt and unbelief in your heart, you go so far. If you have faith in your heart and trust to God and positive expectation, you go a lot farther. You know, you can take two people, one with uh, poverty, you know, one who's a rich person who's got prosperity in his heart. Take away all this money and put him in poverty and it won't be very long before he's rich again, Right. And you can take a poor person who's got poverty in their heart and give them a million dollars and it won't be very long and they'll be poor again. Why? Because it's not determined by the external. It's determined by their living out of their heart. So number two was guard your garden. Your heart is a garden. You are eating out of your garden right now. And so you've got to guard it. You can't let people put stuff in there. That's going to choke out your fruit. Right? In the parable, it was, uh, like the seedfulness of wealth, the cares of this world, lust for other things, and the pleasures of life. Those were the things that Jesus said were the tares that were sown, or the, in the garden, where the wheat was sown among the tares. What's a tear? A tear is another seed that was planted in your heart first, before that word came, or even after, and it's growing up together with the wheat, with the good fruit, and it's keeping you from producing fruit. So you gotta guard your heart from those kinds of things. Gonna guard your garden. Don't let people put stuff in your heart that's not from God. That's not fruit bearing seeds. Amen? Amen. And that brings us to today, number three. This one's gonna be a fun one. It's called develop Christian character. Develop Christian character. Because I lived in a house, uh, the last house we lived in. We had this uh, little flower garden up front, and it was kind of shaded by the house. It was shaded by this big willow tree. But if you look, and I don't know who put this here, who planted it here, but there were little strawberry plants, and they were kind of growing wild in the flower garden and in the yard. And I saw it once a year when I weeded my flower garden. <laughs> once a year. <laughs> but, but they, they were these little, and they were strawberries. I don't know what strawberries are. And, and they would even have a little fruit every once in a while. They'd have the blossoms and then the fruit. And they'd be these little green. I they'd be they're sickly looking plants. Their leaves are small. The, the berries were small. You know what I mean? And I, I've never seen one actually ripen. And I'm sure if it did, the rabbits got to it before, you know, before I saw it. But, but those, they were strawberries. But, where i grew up when we had a garden i mean we had so many strawberries it was ridiculous and we had this well-tilled piece of ground we had a strawberry we picked strawberries literally every day we had been we had them for breakfast we had them for lunch we, we did we put them on our cereal we had strawberry shortcake every day i mean we had strawberry strawberry strawberries it was so productive right but what's the difference they're both strawberries But, you know, if you want to push your harvest to large proportions, you've got to do more than just have a seed in the ground. You've got to take care of that garden, right? Picture in your mind, if you will, an abandoned garden, right? You see the weeds growing up, this hardened ground. You know, it's open to any animal that just wants to come and devour it. No, not been watered for weeks, you know. Things are looking sickly. The fruit, if it did ripen, is sitting here rotten. (laughs) Most of it's eaten before it even gets a chance to ripen, you know. Nasty, right? But picture a well kept garden with no weeds. It's tilled, it's cultivated. There's a fence maybe that keeps the animals out. It's well watered and fertilized. The plants are healthy. You know, if you got tomato plants, you got tomato steaks or tomato cages. To support the branches that are bearing the fruit, you know? Uh, you, you prune it, you take off the unnecessary leaves that are not bearing fruit. If you got pole beans or whatever, you got the trellis. You take care of it, and boy, you can get a lot of fruit you can eat out of that garden, right? But it may be the exact same seeds planted in that garden as the one that's not producing. So the problem's not with the seed. There are things that we can do to produce more fruit. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. You know that time between accepting the Lord as your Savior and knowing you're going to go and be with him when you die, and the time that you actually die? You know that long, awkward spot in between? (laughs) (laughs) What are we supposed to be doing? (laughs) We're supposed to be bearing fruit. (laughs) We're supposed to be developing Christian character. We're supposed to be coming better and better at bearing fruit. And so it, it just doesn't happen. To have a great harvest, it just doesn't happen naturally. It takes a gardener to cultivate and work it. And you know, there's a there's a lot of worldly influences in the church. And you know, it's not all bad for a um church to reflect the culture that it's planted in. So don't take me the wrong way. But you know, a lot of the things that we do, the way we have, you know. Sound systems and screens and stuff, you know, they do that in schools and things. You know, it's, it's not really a Christian thing per se in the fact that it comes from the Bible. We get a lot of stuff from the world that we use. Our style of music, you know, is, is contemporary oftentimes. And, um, you know, it's like I said, it's not wrong to reflect the culture that we're in, but we need to be very aware of where we're allowing the world to come in and change yeah. us. Into something that doesn't look like Christ, right? Because you know, in America, if you want to plant a church, um, put up First Corinthians, Kenneth. First Corinthians, twelve, twenty-eight. I want to read this. You know, when you build a church in America, we appoint first of all sound systems, second projector screens, third worship pastors, then workers of social media, and those with gifts of seating, greeting, and parking, and various kinds of donuts. Oh, that's not what it says, is it? Well, you were close. Oh, I was close. I mean, but you can take my list. hey, you can take my list and build a church in America. You really, you really can. It's done. But this is what God uses when He builds a church: apostles and prophets and and, and these gifts. And so we need to be very careful. We're in areas where we've allowed the world to seep in, and uh, not that it's wrong to have these things, but we don't want these things to usurp these things, right? So. So, one of the areas that um, I think is really kind of the mindset of the world that's gotten into the church is this. The world values this thing called spontaneity and what they call authenticity. They want to be authentic. They want to be, and that sounds really good. I mean, I've even heard church people say we need to be authentic. We need to get together and be authentic in spontaneity. And anything that has a semblance of order, Or tradition or anything that's somehow disingenuous or phony or not being true, you know? The world is living that way. That's why they say things like, you know, I want to live in the moment and just do what feels right to me, right? Or they'll say, why do I have to keep your rules? Because they're just from this antiquated religion of guilt. That's what their view is oftentimes of the church, antiquated religion of guilt. You see, why do I need to marry her? Marriage is just an institution imposed by the church to control me. Or that. And you know, according to Romans 1, the final stage of a culture completely given over to darkness, they're going to say things like this. People should be free to express their gender in whatever they they want. Because after all, gender identity is just a social construct imposed upon us by society. Oh, wait, I think we're already there, aren't we? I think I've heard that one. Yeah, we're already there. And so this idea of the spontaneous authenticity, it's got a, it's got a dark side to it. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's infiltrated the church. And, and here's what it sounds like in the church. In the church, it sounds like fruit, not works. Fruit, not works. See, there are certain things that we do as Christians, and it's not a bad word. Works are not a bad word. We're not saved by our works. I'm not talking about works unto salvation, but if you read uh, Ephesians, it talks about us being saved unto good works, doesn't it? See, works isn't a bad word. And we get this idea that we want to speak spontaneous, and we don't want to have you know any law. Don't put me under law. I want to bear fruit effortlessly. It's a nice idea, but when things are just thrown out into the weeds, they don't really bear a lot of fruit without some effort. Things that are worth doing take some effort. They really do. I'm not speaking of a workspace salvation. I'm not. We don't hear it that way. But I am saying that as saved people, by the Spirit of God, we can do certain things, certain actions we do, certain ways we live can either enhance or hinder the amount of fruit we produce in our lives. All right? Am I clear? Okay. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Make sure everybody understand I'm not bringing a new thing here. But, um, you know, let me ask you this. Does discipline and structure, does it hinder your authenticity and spontaneity or does it enhance it? You know, because Um, is Bruce still here? Is he back? Yeah, Bruce. Yeah. You know, Bruce has been playing the piano with us for as long as, you know, I've been playing in the band, I think, almost. And, you know, as, as we talk all the time because we talk about how he practices and how I practice and stuff like that. And the more he practices, the more he works on the scales and the chords and knows their relationship to one another, the more free he is to actually express himself on the instrument. See, the hours of discipline allows him to be more expressive when the time comes. I think about that. It's the same with anybody. An athlete just doesn't go out there and say, I want to just be spontaneous. No, it's the hours of drilling and practice that allows him to get out there and get his game on, whatever it is, get the ball and handle it and, and score and run or whatever it is. It's those hours of discipline that allows him to be more authentic. And the more you are like Jesus, the more authentic you can really be. The more you can express his nature, which is what you were made to do. The more you are like him, the more you are like your real self. More about who you were born to be. And it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 25. Every athlete exercises, self-control in all things. Say self-control. Self-control. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I should myself be disqualified. Is that in the Bible? <laughs> it sure is. I discipline my body and I keep it under control. It's Bible. Beat my body and make it. My slave. Yeah, yeah. King James Chan beat my body and make it my slave. King Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. But but see, there, the self control. Look, self. What's the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, peace. What's the last one? Self control. Self control is a fruit of the spirit. So this idea of just being free and spontaneous, oh, the more you have a a disciplined life, the more you are taking time to do those things that connect you to the Father, the more you do to keep the weeds out, the more character, Christian character you develop, the more spontaneous you can be in Him. And that is the goal. The more fruit you can bring forth, the more thing, the better you can be for this culture, for this world, the better witness you can be. So the fruit of self-control. Mark 4, 17. Look at that with me. This is the parable of the sower. And so if I had to compare what I'm saying today, develop Christian character to one of the soils, it would be this one in Mark 4. It says, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. See, this is the undisciplined person. They have no root in themselves. They have no depth of character. They're full of good intentions, but they can't bring any of it to fruition. This is the stony heart. Characteristics of the stony heart. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 3.7. It says they're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning. Always hearing the next... The next sermon, Christian TV running 24 hours a day. Got your tapes running in your car. Well, not tapes, it was MP3s now, right? It was tapes, man, it was tapes when I was growing up. I had them too. I did. It's good. You need them in your car. You need your MP3 running. But you got them going and going. But you can never come to an experiential knowledge of the truth. Always learning, always learning, always learning, and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. It's not where I want to be, do you? That's a miserable place. (laughs) You know everything that's wrong with everybody, including yourself, but you can't produce fruit. I hate that. It's not a good place to be. The stony heart is a person who uh, is a hearer of the word and not a doer. James 1.22, you know it. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. People with a stony heart are self-deceived. They uh, think they're better off than they really are. They have a higher estimation of themselves because they have all this knowledge. They don't have the fruit in their lives. Mm. That's a bad place to be. Hearers and not doers. Not doers in the sense of uh, they hear the word, but they don't do it. Yeah, like in the sense of they don't obey it. That's one sense. The other sense is they hear the word, but they're not able to bring it to fruition. They're not able to bear that fruit. They're not actually really able to get their prayers answered or let their light shine or help lead somebody else to God. They're not able to produce the fruit that God wants the kingdom to produce. They're hearers and not a doers. We don't want to be that way, do we? But see, for us, as Christians connected to God, with the Word of God growing in our hearts, in our lives, what we need to do is protect our garden and develop this Christian character. Um, Kenneth, I don't, didn't, I forgot to put it in the slides. But if you have your Bibles open with me to Romans chapter eight, and I'm going to start reading at verse twelve. And since I don't have it up on the screen, I'm going to give you just a minute to get there. Romans chapter eight and verse twelve. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, well, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Do you see, this is a spirit led thing. It's by the Spirit that helps you to bring your body under control. It's by the Spirit that you can live a disciplined life. It's by the Spirit of God that you can say no to ungodliness and unrighteousness and say yes to Him. It's by the Spirit that you can put on the new man and walk in the light of God. It's a Spirit thing. See, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about a work of salvation at all. But I am talking about a salvation unto this kind of work, this kind of fruit, this kind of activity in your life. It's a good thing. By the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or children of God. One of the characteristics of being a child of God is to be led by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And the Spirit helps us do it. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? It's the work of the Spirit. Go with me to, um, Second Timothy. I've got the screens for this one if you want to follow along. Second Timothy 20, 21. You know this verse. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. So I like to think about what kind of uses these pots, these vessels are used in a house. You know, you got your fine china, you know, that you bring out on the you know, holiday, it used to be right, Sunday dinner, Sunday China or the special holidays, right? But you know, the, the dishonorable ones are the ones that go under the bed, you know, for the cold nights in the winter when you have an outhouse, you know, or the one that you scoop the dog food with, you know, there's some that you just don't care about, but then there's some that are precious, right? So in a the house, there's all kinds of vessels, all kinds of them, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, what cleanses himself, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, I think King James wasn't it, purifies himself, right, from the latter, cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for the master of the house, ready for every good, oh, here's that word, work, Mm -hmm. every good work. Now, what's the difference here? It's the vessel who purifies himself and makes himself ready. Why do some people run farther with God than others? Some people are willing to do what it takes to do to be fruit bearers. God's not a respecter of person. So if somebody's running farther than me, they're living a life that's more conducive to having God work through them and use them than what I'm doing. Right. Second Peter uh, chapter one, starting at verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. See, he's already given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. He's not a respecter of persons. If you've received him, if you've got the ingrafted word in your heart, if you're connected to him, if you've made that first step, you've got this. You already have. He's already said yes. Does it pertain to life and godliness? Yes. I've granted it to you. It is yours. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become the partakers of, the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So because of all that, he goes on, he says, make every effort, make every effort. King James says, giving all diligence. The New International Reader's Version says, try really hard. (laughs) <laughs> Does that sound like just effortless? <laughs> that sounds like the opposite of effortless. Make every effort. It's okay to make an effort to do these things. You're not trying to get saved by your works. But you can live a life in such a way that God can just flow through you as an as a open channel. Yeah. A whole lot better than what we've been experiencing. Mm-hmm. Amen? Yeah, so for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with Virtue. And with virtue, knowledge and knowledge with, here's that word again, self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They keep you from being ineffective or untruthful. Isn't that good? Mm-hmm. I did a study on those words years ago, and I had it all written out. But one of the things I like to do lately is I just like to look at different Bible translations. Because I, I, you know, these are scholars who kind of just bring more modern words. So I did that. I looked up about, I don't know, seven or eight different translations and wrote down some of the words just to get a picture of what these might look like. Okay? Add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith goodness, integrity. And what's integrity? It's being a single, complete, one unit with no parts, right? What's an integer? (laughs) Integrity, right? Integrity, good character, moral excellence. You can develop that. He's saying add this to your faith so that you can increase in your fruit bearing. Add good character, add integrity. And to your virtue... Add knowledge, add understanding, spiritual understanding. Knowledge there is the act of knowing. Learn something about God, you know? What's the Bible say about renewing your mind, right? right. Um, Romans 12.2, uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. According to Romans 12.2, what do I have to do to be conformed to the world? Renew your mind. Uh, I did it opposite. Oh, I think oh, you did an <laughs> According to Romans 12, too, what do I have to do to be conformed to the world? Don't not renew, renew my mind. Not. Absolutely nothing is the answer I'm looking for. Absolutely nothing. You just float with the culture and you'll be just like them. It's the easiest thing to do. But if you want to go against the culture, if you don't want to be conformed to the standards and mm-hmm. the pattern of the world, you have to do something. To renew your mind. It's not works unto salvation, but it is worth unto being not conformed to the world. And it's, it says be transformed. Your life will be transformed into the image of God as you renew your mind. With knowledge, uh, understanding, spiritual understanding. Didn't Proverbs say though it cost you all you have, get understanding, get wisdom, get understanding. Yeah. Learn something about God. Pray. And let the Spirit teach you. Not just Head knowledge. Head knowledge is good. But you know, you can be a Christian and you can be a spiritual man and not even be literate. So it's not about how many Greek and Hebrew languages you speak, but it's about your heart pursuing after the knowledge of God and walking with him. So add to your virtue, knowledge. Add to your knowledge, self-control. right? Ability to control yourself, to put restraints on yourself. Like Paul said, I discipline my body. Make it serve me. I'm in this temple. I'm in this earthen temple. I want to make this thing serve me as I serve God. I want to make it bring forth much fruit. Add to your self-control steadfastness. That's patience, endurance, perseverance. You can add it to it. Keep going. And add to your perseverance godliness. Devotion to God. Reverent wonder. Isn't that beautiful reverent wonder had godliness, and then finally brotherly affection, which is the word Philadelphia, which is um, brotherly kindness, concern for others, warm friendliness. That's all the different translations bring out. Concern for others. Add you want to produce fruit? Have some concern for others. Just put yourself. You know, uh, Tara Bill Wilson used to always say, "Put yourself in the urgency of life." of somebody else, and that urgency will change you. you probably heard him say that. You put yourself where others have need. Be concerned for them. All of a sudden, they'll pull fruit out of you. They will. They will. You want to be fruitful? Brotherly affection. And finally, to your brotherly affection, love, which is agape, which is God's kind of love. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Was well, this okay? I mean, yeah. we're saved. We're not saved by works. And there, I know there's a lot of people out there talking about effortless fruit-bearing stuff like that, and it sounds really nice. Um, and they're not totally wrong. There's elements of truth to, to all of that. But if you take it too far, and you go beyond, and it's like, I don't have to do anything. And by the Bible's saying no. You can choose to do these things to make your life more fruitful. For the kingdom. And to close out this series, I want to read this. Because God planted a seed. Okay? God planted a seed and he expects a harvest. John 12, verse 20. Among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew went to Andrew and Philip together. They went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I still laugh at that because I think it's funny because these Greeks want to see Jesus. So they get together and they go to see Jesus and they say, Jesus, there's some Greeks here who want to see you. And he starts talking about planting seeds. Jesus they're Greeks they're not farmers (laughs) I'm not sure what you mean (laughs) but listen to what Jesus says it's beautiful he's about ready to go to the cross he knows he's about ready to go to the cross the Greeks want to see Jesus They they heard of Jesus they heard what Jesus was doing they heard about his works they heard about the miracles the Greeks are wanting to see who this man is so they're coming they say we want to see Jesus and Jesus said well Jesus is about to go to the cross. I'm about to lay down my life like a seed. But you wait till this seed is planted and it brings forth fruit. You're going to see Jesus all over the place. And I give you Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church. Uncontainable. His name and the Spirit spread. Jesus was everywhere. I mean, the devil was fighting one man. Now he's fighting... How many on that first day baptized in the Holy Spirit poured out on the nation? You know what I'm saying? Wow. God sowed a seed. He sowed a son to reap sons. Okay? He didn't sow a son to reap a servant, to reap an angel, (laughs) to reap a robot. He sowed a son to reap a son or a daughter. You? He wants the harvest, And so it's your job to do Jesus' ministry. <clears throat> Bring the light to the world. Carry the gospel to the world. Mm-hmm. Bring the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? Good stuff, is it's for us, man. Let's mm-hmm. run. Let's run. We can go as far as we want to go. The restrictions are not from anything. What's the Bible say? All the promises of God find their yes in Him. Right? Yeah. So any restrictions on running wide open on this is not from him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's already given us the yes. I sold my son. I want you made in the image of God. Take up the old man, put on the new man, run. Be mm-hmm. Jesus to the world. Mm-hmm. Carry my ministry, ministry of reconciliation. Amen? Amen. Let's do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. All right, Father, we just love you. We <laughs> thank you for this thank word. You. We thank you for it. It's stirring because, because we can really do this. Mm-hmm. And for some of us, it's not because we can't. It's just because we haven't known we could choose to do it. So, Lord, work in us by the Spirit. Lead us by your Spirit to do these things, to put to death the needs of the flesh, to, to guard our hearts, to keep things out so that we can be that That accurate representation of you on earth, that we can bear that fruit for the kingdom and that we can do some good for this world and for this generation while we are here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.